good. God is always good, isn't he? But he is really good. So much better than we know. And we need to take the time, right, to really focus and listen to him and let him show us his goodness. Amen. Dan Baker wrote in his book, uh, Why Happy People, What Happy People Know. And that's kind of a cool title right off the bat, What Happy People Know. Man, I want to be more happy. I want to have more excitement in my life. Maybe I should read that book. But this is what he said. The stories we tell ourselves about our own lives eventually become our lives. You believe that? It's true. The choice is ours. Our life will be at will be significant in proportion to the stories that we choose to interpret our reality. Think about that. The stories you and I choose to interpret our reality. What stories play in your mind? What stories captivate your imagination? What stories? And it's not just any story. It's not, no, fantasy stories can have value. But what about stories about the truth? Those stories have power. What stories are you choosing to interpret your reality? What stories are shaping what becomes of you and your life? Think about that. What stories are in your mind right now and what stories are shaping you this next week or this next year or even this next decade? What stories? They have power those stories. You know, you've heard me talk about my testimony, but one of my early stories of my testimony before I, well, before I really came into a relationship with Christ, is that my brother had gotten a Bible when he was in prison. One, one of his times he was in prison. So I should tell you something. And it was zippered. And he, he brought it home, he put it on the shelf. In our family, Bibles were meant to be on a shelf, or on a table. They weren't certainly read, that's for sure. And I remember seeing this thing, and I was curious. Huh, a Bible. Well, I wonder what that's about. And so I unzipped it. And I would go back to one particular story, and it was the story of David fighting Goliath. <laughs> and I remember just sitting up against the wall on the floor, looking at the picture, reading the story, thinking, wow, is there really a God like this? Wow. You know what? Somebody young can know him. And wow, he can do powerful things through young people. And I was just thinking, if there's a God like this, that would be something. And I would just go back there time and time again, set against the wall, open that thing up, Go back to that story and meditate on it and, and think about it. At that point, I wasn't ready to ask God to show himself to me, but he was, and he was building the resume, getting ready to. Uh, it wasn't until years later that I came to know him, but he was beginning to shape my life through that story. This morning, if, you, if your walk with Jesus has gotten stale, because we've been talking about this the last three weeks, if your service of the Lord is missing the mark, uh, if you don't feel like you're producing any fruit, no productivity, you're questioning your value or your faith, you seem to just be waiting. You're wondering, is God really there? Is God going to really move in my life anymore or do anything? 
maybe you and I need to begin to focus on and tell ourselves a different story. Maybe we need to have different stories that occupy our inner world, our heart, our mind, our thoughts. That we need different stories to tell ourselves about ourselves and our lives. Maybe we need to trust them, different stories, stories of truth, to interpret and shape our reality. What am I really going through? Not from my perspective, but through the perspectives of God's story. See, Jesus told a story. It was a parable full of eternal and absolute truth. And it was relevant and is relevant to every person on this planet. And every person who wants to be a would-be disciple. This is what you would call a major hitting story. This is a life-giving story. This is one of the major ones you need to commit to memory. You need to hold on to you and I both, and go back to time and time again. We all live in it. We're all to use it to interpret our reality. It might be the single most important story that will determine what your life becomes. And it's positive. It's a really positive story. And it tells us how you and I can remain fruitful and growing in our lives year after year. Well, we can keep moving forward into the image of Christ without going backwards. That's what this story tells us about. And it, it, it says that God will do this in, in spite of our circumstances. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go back with me, and we're going to read John chapter 15 again. And I have through 17 on the verses, but we're only going to go through verse 12 today. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it. If not, you can read it up on the screen or listen to me read it. Jesus said this, I am the true vine. No two ways about it. And my Father, God Almighty, is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, and he's talking to his followers, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he's getting us to look at a picture. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Much fruit. Not scrawny little fruit, not just a few, but much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you might bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, that you love each other. 
I'm going to stop with that. I'm going to stop with that this morning. Because we've been looking at this passage for the last two Sundays, and here's our third. We've worked through it, and now we're going to come to some other truths about what it means to remain faithful year after year. Now I'm just going to review with you just real quick what the first three points were. You know, right off the bat, you and I have to accept and embrace our identity. We have to accept first Jesus' identity as the true vine, the one source, period. And then we have to accept the identity of the Father. He's the gardener. He keeps us clean, free from disease. He trims us back. He directs and guides our action. <clears throat> he cares for us tenderly and, and does all that with a sense of love and hope. Uh, by the way, my mandarin tree is still making it, even after I pruned it. And so I should have huge fruit soon, but not that soon. So let's hope it makes it. Amen? And then we accept our identity <clears throat> as a branch. I'm sorry, we didn't really get a, a leading role. There's the vine, and there's the fruit. That's huge. The branch is the in-between thing. That doesn't seem real glamorous, but that's what we're called, and that's our role, and that's who... That's who we are. That's our identity. Have you received your identity? You're a son or daughter of God. And you are a branch. You've been created to be one. You want to go outside of that identity? You do it at your own peril. You want to be blessed and do marvelous things? You play your role and you live by your identity. How are you doing in connecting with God? How are you doing in growing in this intimacy with him and having unaltered obedience to him and his leading as a branch does to the vine? Where are we at with that? Well, that was the first thing. The second thing, if we want to stay fruitful, we got to receive the Father's pruning. Yeah, that's a little shocking. It seems a little violent even. But in the hands of a skillful vine dresser, Man, pruning is a great thing because remember, it leads to health. It leads to maximum fruit year after year. And so, are we coming to the Lord and are we receiving that pruning? Are we partnering with Him to obediently rid our lives of everything that hinders? To obediently cut away the sin that so easily entangles and holds us down and things that hold us back? Or things that simply had a season and are no longer good for bearing fruit? The time has passed. Are we joining the Lord in that and celebrating that so that we can still produce maximum fruit? Or are we just keep trying to add more things to our lives? More things to our walk with God? That's not a, a way to success. Are we receiving that pruning? And third, do we understand? And, and I've got to, we can go back to this other slide. If you can move on. There we go. You can see the vine, you can see the branch begins, and you can see these huge clusters of, of grape and of fruit, grapes and fruit that come off that vine. I want you to look at that slide. I had you look at it last week and take your time to look at it carefully. I want you to consider the relationship of the vine, the branches, and the fruit. Look at that. That defines how we are to walk with God. That defines a follower of God, a disciple of God's life, right there. You must remain. You must abide. It's a 24-7 thing. 
It's not just come and do a little bit at church on a Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week is yours. Right? Some of us thought that. I, I used to think that's what Christians did because of some of my friends. That's what they did. That's before I knew Christ. It was just a one-day thing, and then you lived whatever you wanted the rest of the time. No, it's different. Mutual indwelling, as is shown here through this word picture that Jesus gave us, is a relationship that is 24-7. It's experiencing and growing in intimacy with God. It's becoming a closer, closer friend of God. See, that's what it's about. It's about that relationship remaining and deepening. It's this Holy Spirit life. See, the Holy Spirit is the life of the vine. And it fills us. And it empowers us. And it changes us over time. It grows us. And the more we lean into the Holy Spirit as New Testament believers, the more we lean into His Word, both written in the Bible, as well as spoken to our minds and our hearts, we find healing. We find health. We find maximum fruit that comes out of our lives. And we move closer to completion in that image of God that He has for us. So abiding is important. It's just not an intellectual assent to something. Oh, I believe that. No, it's so much more than that. Abiding is clinging to. It's embracing. It's receiving life. It's a real relationship. And it involves obedience and response and gratitude and trust and love. All those things that make for a deep and intimate relationship we are to have with the vine. That warmth that genuineness, that empathy. We're to experience that because it's about mutually indwelling one another. Do you indwell God? Does God indwell you? That's, that's the story that we're called to live out. That's the experience we're called to experience. And so we see Jesus really emphasizing the importance for us because he knows we have a choice in this. And he says, listen, your responsibility, we found in our passage, your priority and your choice, then, is to remain in me. I'm always going to remain in you if you'll remain in me. I won't back out on you. I won't abandon you. But you can choose to abandon me. I can live without you. I don't want to, but I can. I have life in myself, but you don't. You separate from me, and you'll wither, and you'll die. And I don't want to see that happen. So he says, abide. Abide and remain. Abide and remain. That's what we've been called to do. Well, here this morning, we're moving to our fourth point then. Those things are so important to fruitfulness, aren't they? They are. And man, as long as you keep that relationship, as long as you keep these things alive, the plant will stay alive and it will grow to greater and greater fruitfulness as the years go on. But here's the next thing. I hope you saw, as you've read this passage week after week, that the overwhelming thrust of this passage is fruitfulness. It's there. That word, bearing fruit, appears at least six times in the first eight verses alone. Bearing fruit. Six times in the first eight verses alone. Fruit-bearing is not something, though, that a branch does by force of will, does it? No. 
We think it is sometimes. We try to make it happen that way, but it doesn't happen that way. The fruit happens organically because the vine is true and the relationship is true. It's, they're abiding in one another. And the gardener is good and the life is flowing. Fruit happens naturally, organically, because these branches choose to abide in the vine. So the life, power, and presence of the vine, it flows. And abundant fruit comes forward. So it's important for us, as modern-day believers, to daily and weekly abide and remain in the vine, Jesus, so that we can keep growing. We have to make that choice daily so we can keep growing. And it's more, I want to say, than this. And I heard somebody uh, in one of the books I was reading this last week said this. It was from a quote from Dallas Willard. Some young men came up to him and said, Dallas, man, tell us, what do you do for your devotional life for the first you know, 15 to 30 minutes of your day? Man, tell us how you really get connected with God and, and what you really do there. And Dallas, as Dallas Wood stopped, and he thought really carefully, and then he said, I would say, young man, God cares a whole lot more with what you do with the other 24 hours and a half than that first 30 minutes of your day. How do you live it? Where are you at? See, it's not just clocking in and abiding for a few minutes and checking out. It's about abiding 24-7 so that we can grow. And Jesus says that if you grow, there's going to be some things that are going to happen, and they're going to happen in three areas. You're going to be fruitful in three areas. Are you ready? And this is in an area we sometimes struggle with, and we're not sure why we're not fruitful in it, because sometimes we don't feel fruitful in it. Here's the first one, verses 7 through 8 and verse 16. It says, we will be fruitful, much fruit, in answered prayer. Some of us can choke on that when I say that. What? That's not my experience. Well, yeah. That is your experience. When this story, when this reality captivates your life and you're walking in it and it's interpreting your reality and you're living in it, that's what happens. Answered prayer. If Jesus said this in verse 7 and 8, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, no, there's conditions on that verse, right? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that will abide, will remain. So that whatever you ask in my name, and to ask in a name is to ask under authority, right? Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So right away, we have a promise here. Answer to prayer are one of the fruits of, of discipleship. It's one of the fruits of being in the vine. And it's interesting that Jesus first mentions it here, uh, prayer in his desire to answer it. He really wanted to, to give us encouragement in it. But he also gives us direction. He wants us to know that he cares about what we long and care about what we desire. And he wants us to know as long as we bring our desires and we collaborate with the Spirit and his desires, we'll have what we ask for in prayer. 
But why don't we always get what we ask for in prayer? Why don't we always seem to get answers to our prayers? Why do we seem to be so skittish about what we can ask or not ask in prayer? Well, I'm going to go back to a little teaching that we had back in James. And there's a reason for it. And I'm hoping we can keep growing in this. But I know sometimes it's hard to lose old habits. In Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20, and in Mark 9, verses 14 through 29, there was a father that came to Jesus upon his son's behalf. I don't know, you might remember the story. The boy was possessed by a demon. This demon would seize him, he would throw him into convulsions, drive him into fires, throw him in the water, trying to harm him, trying to kill him. That's alarming. It's horrible. You would think God wants to deal with this. So first, his dad brings his son to the disciples. Okay. Disciples have Jesus' promise. They know that they can ask for things in his name. He's told them that. They've been involved in ministry, but guess what happens? They can't help their son. Now the father comes to Jesus and explains the suffering to Jesus and then says to the Lord, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And you remember what Jesus said. He responds, if you can, if you can do anything. He understands there's, some, there's need for teaching here. There's a misunderstanding with his disciples, but also with this man who needs help. And this man needs a new story to be able to understand and interpret God differently and to understand and interpret prayer differently. He said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who truly believes. Wow, what does it mean to truly believe then? Immediately it says the father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that you and me? I do, I do believe, but help me, come out my, help me to overcome my unbelief. Because that's there too. Well, Jesus casts out the demon, just like that. Well, we go, well, of course, that's Jesus. He can do anything. And he heals the son. Later, his disciples come to him privately because they got beat up a little bit. And they ask, why couldn't we drive out this demon and help this boy? It was kind of humiliating. We felt like we fell right there in front of everybody. And what's this about? In Matthew 17, Jesus says this, because you have so little faith, he told them. Well, how much faith do I need to have? You said, I don't need, if I had the faith of a mustard seed, I could move a mountain. We, we think we had at least that much. Okay. But in the story that was recorded of the same incident in, in Mark 9, he says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In some places it would say prayer and fasting. See, so this implies something. That more time and listening in prayer would lead to growth in faith, which would lead to being able to receive God's word and will in faith. It was more of a process. And there needed to be more time. And so the question has to be, what is faith then? And we still struggle with that. Most of us, you've been in this church, I hope you're growing in your understanding of faith. I do not believe in blind faith. 
I don't believe in a leap of faith. Now, of course, I'm like that. I'm exuberant in my humanness and in my desires. I've jumped off a lot of cliffs and bridges before I knew what was down there. And thank God there wasn't anything other than water. <laughs> You're right. And so I have put myself in situations where while I'm in the air, I'm going, oh, I should have thought about this more. Okay? I haven't done that in faith. I'm here to tell you, I don't do that in faith. I don't do that in faith. So if that's you, see, you can be encouraged by that. Here's what faith is. Matthew, we all know Hebrews 11 says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what you hope for. And assurance about what you do not see. I don't know about you, but those two words tell me something. I'm confident and I have assurance. Does that sound like a leap of faith? No. Does that sound like blind faith? No. Because I'm confident and I have assurance. Oh my gosh, I've done a lot of things that I said done by faith that I did not have confidence and assurance in. Hmm. Let's go on. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing. Not audible. We're, he's a spirit. You're going to hear God speak to your heart, your mind, through thoughts, through feelings, through visions, through dreams, through other people even. You just hear it. And it says hearing through the rhema of Christ, the spoken word of Christ. The significance of this, and you've heard this before, right? It's a spoken word. It's not that you just come to the Bible and read something. We've talked about this before. You know, remember God told the children of Israel, he said, go down. When they were trying to get to the promised land, he said, when, when the priests put their feet in the water, they'll be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When they put their feet in the water, the waters will recede. This thing was at flood stage, this river. And they had to trust. We walk into this thing, and we won't be swept away, because God has made a promise. And so we look at that sometimes, and we think, well, shoot, I should be able to do that. But I'm here to tell you, you go to the Arkansas and you feel like, well, I'm going to trust and believe in faith that I'm either going to be able to walk through this and it's going to be dry all around me, or I'm going to walk on water. And I've wanted to walk on water. How many of you have wanted it? I have. I have. I know it sounds crazy, but I have. I haven't yet walked on water. You know why? Because God never told me to. He never gave that promise to me. He never spoke to me. See, so that's just foolishness. It's not faith. That's just human desire or ambition. It's not faith. Because I'm not hearing the rhema saying to me, this is my promise to you, walk in it. Right? Walk in it. The Bible uses the same word rhema in Ephesians 6, 17, and this is what Paul said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He said, the rhema of God. You're listening for God. You're trusting his promise to you. See, the word of God that's reverenced here, it is scripture. But it's Jesus speaking his word to you and to me. To our minds, to our needs. 
God will speak to me many times, and he's spoken to you many times, where you're reading the Scripture and it jumps off the page. When the Scripture jumps off the page and it's no longer just black and white on a white on, on a sheet of paper, that's rhema. God's Spirit is speaking to you His Word. And He's telling you something He wants you to do. So faith comes by hearing in your mind's ear, in your, in your heart's ear, a passage or a promise in Scripture or a word of the Spirit of God that can be applied to your particular need. And the word or the promise, you know what it does? It stimulates faith in you. And so it provides you an opportunity to believe. And you must make the choice. So if God says to me something and says, I'll heal her. Now I have to choose, well, I believe that word from the Lord. And will I choose to go lay hands and pray for her healing or not? That means I have to listen in prayer and discern God's will and remain in his word and let his word remain in me before I ask whatever I will and it's done for me. I don't just have this blanket, it's a relationship. I'm not just running around with incantations or have a spell that I can just say the right words and do the right things and get what I want. Now, we get close to that in certain parts of our Christianity, in certain parts of our modern-day expression of Christianity. But that's not biblical Christianity. So, it's possible to pray, as James says in James 5, the prayer of faith. But to pray a prayer of faith, you have to first discern the mind and will of the Lord in a matter. And then when you receive it, you trust it. You pray it. You pray that prayer of faith. It's not a prayer of hope. We pray prayers of hope a lot for people because we don't yet know the mind of God in the matter. We don't yet have that sense of the direction of the, of the vine keeper, of where he wants to go and what he wants to do. So you pray a prayer of hope. But I'm here to tell you, you can pray prayers of faith. God wants to speak to you, but you may not get his direction immediately or when you want it. So pray the prayer of hope until you do. Does that make sense to people when I say that? About the prayer of faith? God, I hope by God's grace it does. Because we can pray in power. There are many of the spiritual uh, godly giants that have gone before us. Like Madame Guyon. Like Andrew Murray. Like um, Charles Spurgeon and Oswald Chambers. These guys understood these things. They understood that you had to listen first in prayer. Madame Guyon used to say that when I pray for somebody in healing, I stop and say, Lord, is this sickness unto death? And I wait. The Lord said, no, this sickness is not unto death. Lord, is this sickness because of sin? Okay, no. Lord, what is your will? How do you want to glorify yourself through this sickness? I want to heal him. All right. In the name of Jesus, receive your blessing and be healed in his name. And she believes. She said, that's how you, you, you pray these prayers. She's right. She's got it. It's how it works. You think I'm, I'm crazy? I'm telling you. I'm giving you some good, strong absolutes. That's how faith works. 
I could go on and on about stories of how that's worked in my own life and in our ministry here. Over and over again. Because we heard the word of the Lord. Right? We heard the word of the Lord. And I'm not going to go on because I've got to finish this message, right? I want you to see another place. In, in Matthew chapter 5, it talks about Elijah after he talks about the prayer of faith. And he says, Elijah was a man just like us. But he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three days and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again that it would rain and it did rain. And he's saying he's a man of faith. And, and he was heard because of his faith. He was heard. Do you realize that when you go back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 and go back and read it, do you know he's praying here where his motivation and his faith came for praying? Do you know where it came from? God told him. He received the word from God on how and what to pray for. That's why it was done. Why don't we... See, we've got to get that. So we don't get discouraged. We don't get discouraged. I can remember where I'd broken my hand before the biggest game of the year, my senior year in high school, and they were going to put me in a full cast, and, and they said, you can't play. I said, no, do something. Shoot me up, do something, but i got to play. No. No, and then I had counsel, don't let them shoot you up, and don't play. So I missed the game. I could have I had an opportunity to be all city. That's kind of like being all state here. I was all league, but I didn't get to be all city because I missed that big game. I missed that big game, so I was, I was struggling. And I came to church in prayer time. I said, God, I believe in faith. And I cut that cast off. <laughs> you believe it, right? And I was in prayer time. I said, pray for me. I'm going to be healed in the name of Jesus. I believe. I'm a zealot boy. I tell you what, I did believe. I believe. Lord, heal that hand, heal that arm. God, do it. I receive it in the name of Jesus. I was praying things over it, all sorts of stuff. And I received it. And then I sat down and said, okay, Lord, why is this hand not healed? And the Lord spoke. Because, Kelly, my strength will be revealed through your weakness. You put that cast back on. And you walk what I told you to do. I'm not going to heal you that way. I was like, what? All right, Lord, give me the grace then. Help me, Jesus. I had to put the cast back on, tape it with duct tape. <laughs> I played the rest of the games from then on with a stump, uh, stumpy, right? But the Lord had a will and a desire. And I had to, I had to choose to have faith, to trust, and walk in it. Those are the prayers of faith. That's why Elijah got his answers. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. So, if we're praying any other prayer, and we don't know the mind of God, then we're praying the prayer of hope. And we're praying a prayer of discernment. God, give me leading. Show me, because I want to pray the prayer of faith. Right? I want to pray the prayer of faith. And I will also say that it's difficult when you hear the Lord say something that you do not wish. I've heard that many times. I've heard the Lord say things I really wanted. Because, of course, I think I'm God sometimes, and I think I know best. And so that's wonderful. But when you hear 
something other than what you wanted. That can be difficult, and I've heard those things. This person will not walk out of this hospital. I have heard that. And it wasn't my lack of faith that caused him to go be with Jesus. It was because God had a plan, and we were going to walk in it. I've heard, like you said, uh, you're going to walk through this because my grace is sufficient for you, and you're going to learn that. So we have to continue to seek and to listen and discern in prayer until we receive his word and promise that will stimulate our faith so we can actually pray the prayer of faith and receive whatever we ask for. See, that's how that works when you remain in the word. But when we receive God's word or promise, there's other fruit that comes forward as well and are produced. And I'm going to kind of shortchange these other fruits because of time, and that's just the way it's going to be. Verses 9 through 10 and 12 through 13 says that we're going to experience God's love and the ability to love others and ourselves more. We will experience his love more as we remain in him. And then this third fruit, and it's a great fruit in verse 11 and 16, it's the last fruit that Jesus mentions on the vine, is joy. These things, he says in verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's joyous to hear God's direction in a matter. Joy will come, but it can be elusive. It can be elusive if we're insensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It can be elusive if we're not remaining in the vine and listening. And Jesus taught this. He taught that one of the most dangerous joy takers is when we hear God's word, but we stubbornly refuse to immediately obey him and apply his word in fresh ways in our lives and in our service. When we do that, that's a sure way to rob yourself of joy. Immediate application, which would be immediate obedience and faith, that is so significant if we're going to be a joy-filled disciple. It must be obedient and immediate. It must be obedient. Now, can God handle that? Yeah, and he'll work with us, but, but we won't have joy. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus taught how important it is to both listen to him speak and then immediately apply what he says. He said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for anyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what he or they are like. Here's another great story to apply to interpret your life and to captivate and shape your life and your imagination. He says, I'm going to show you what they are like. They are like a man or woman building a house who dug down deep and they laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built on the rock. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like the man or woman who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Our old translation said on sand. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Complete. Keep this story and these images in your mind. There's a reason why we have success and fruitfulness in our lives and a reason we don't. And there's a reason we have joy in our lives. 
and the reason we don't. And a lot of times it comes back to immediate application and obedience to the word of God that he gives to us. If we choose in faith to walk in it, blessings come. If we choose not to, we wither. We wither. And it's questionable. We've got to repair our remaining and our abiding. So this morning, assurance of abundant fruit is to be the pattern. That's our final point. It's to be the pattern. It should be our expectation and our experience. Fruitfulness, abundant fruitfulness. And so my questions to you this morning, are you experiencing answers to your prayers? Are you? If, if not, will you grow in your practice and experience of prayer first and listening to the Lord, expecting to hear him, and then in faith praying in line with his word and his promise that he's given you? Will you do that? Will you begin to practice that way of prayer as opposed to our old way of prayer? God, if it be your will. That is really a prayer of resignation, uh, a prayer of hope at best, but it's definitely not a prayer of faith when we pray that way. We need to work toward faith. It's okay to pray that way, but just know it's not, it's not the final place you want to be. We've got to keep traveling. Number two, are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit in your relationship with God and others, especially love? We will express more love the closer we get to God and the more we receive his word and apply it. Are we experiencing joy? The joy of receiving a fresh word from him so that we can apply it to our life and our relationships and our ministry. Is being a branch that produces abundant fruit, that's God's will for you, that's God's will for me, but do we accept this reality, this promise and this identity so we can flourish in it? Is that, are those the stories that captivate our heart and our mind? Does this story shape your life? I want you to stand with me as we close in prayer this morning. I want to challenge you again. It's easy to be in the church or to be a believer and get to the place where other stories shape our lives. The current story and culture may have more power to shape your life. Stories that you've heard your parents or teachers or coaches or somebody who, who didn't really know what God's will was for you, they gave you a story and that's shaping your life. God wants to heal you of those things. And the way those things are healed and the way they're eradicated from our hearts and lives is by us replacing them with new stories and better stories to interpret our reality to tell us what our identity is, to tell us what our future is. I'm telling you. And those are stories of truth. And this is one of them. God destines you for abundant fruitfulness. God's created you. Receive your place as a branch. Receive your place. And then pray the prayer of faith. Grow in it. And watch God do the miraculous and bear fruit beyond your imagination. Let those stories captivate your heart and mind. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you'd help us, Lord, to grow this morning. Father, come into our hearts the only way that you can, Holy Spirit. Come in 
and point out those stories that are false in our lives. Take them out of our hearts and out of our lives and replace those stories with new stories, with your stories, Lord. With stories of faith and faithfulness. With stories of fruitfulness. With stories of abundant fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. God, with stories of true identity so that we might be able to live up to our identity as sons and daughters of God. That we might be a reflection of you, Lord, because we remain and abide in you. Lord, change our mindsets because you change our stories. Lord, bless us this morning, we pray. And then, God, help us to share these new stories with those around us. Thank you, Father, for the stories we heard today at church, the stories of answered prayer and of encouragement. But, God, help us to be conduits of those stories to others who need it, others who need to hear your story, Lord, and your stories, whether they be in our families, our spouse, our neighbors, our coworkers, in our community. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. So, Father, we praise you and bless you. And we pray also this morning that as we march toward Easter, that you'd show us who we could share the story of Easter with, who we can invite to come and celebrate with us and maybe find a story that they can believe and that would change their lives. God, show us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And then, Holy Spirit, speak to those that you want to give witness to you that need to bear witness to you that you are Lord of all and that they are following you and who need to identify with you in baptism. God, show these folks who, who can celebrate baptism this year and this is the time for it. Show that to them and call them to baptism. We ask this in Jesus' name as well. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing on us as we go forward to live your word to walk in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen. Amen.